Hey guys, Vogon here. It's been a while since the last episode, but life, the universe and everything got in the way and I was not able to release sooner. However, I did want to have an episode out before the end of the year, so here it is. Wishing you all a great 2022. May you have at least double the positive things you had this year and that we move away from this human malware once and for all. Now, on with the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Talk, a podcast about the mechanical keyboard hobby and what makes it split yet again. Our guest this episode is a mechanical keyboard enthusiast that created the place for split keyboards. He's also the designer of several split keyboards and also one of the hosts of the Off The Clack podcast. Baking Pie, aka Danny, welcome to The Talk. Hey, what's up? Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate you being here. So, as you probably are aware, we always start with the most usual and cheesy question of them all, but it is what it is. So what got you into the mechanical keyboard hobby to start with? Well, for me, uh, I mean, I guess in terms of getting into mechanical key- keyboards, uh, that was probably around 2016 or so. But even before then, uh, I remember at my office, I used to cycle through a bunch of membrane keyboards at work all the time because I just wanted like, you know, a decent feel for to them. But then like, as I wore them out a couple months later, I would just like throw it back into the keyboard bin and try to find the new keyboard uh, in the batch. But then, you know, I'd heard about mechanical keyboards, but it, you know, they're like crazy expensive to me. You know, $100 just seemed kind of ridiculous at the time. Yes. yes. Um, but the other thing I also used to like was the Microsoft Natural Keyboards. Because I remember my mom, when I was growing up at her office, she had one of those natural keyboards because she had RSI or carpal tunnel syndrome of some sort. So she had the fancy split keyboard right there. And I thought that was kind of a cool idea. So some of the first membrane keyboards I bought uh, when I was working were kind of those you know, those split keyboards in a way. Well, I mean, still single piece, but your hands are apart on those. Yeah. But it's so funny, right? How, how, how that keyboard, and I don't want to say this because it sounds like I'm a, you know, a preacher or something, but it's funny how the Microsoft, mem- you know, that, that ergonomic membrane keyboard generated maybe part of this hobby as well, right? Because I think it was the first one that, you know, and I may, might be wrong, but I think it was like the first one that created that idea of splitting your hands and putting it in a more ergonomical uh, way. Yeah, and then um, in terms of actually buying mechanical keyboards in the end, um, I remember starting at this new company, and then one of my coworkers there, he had the, he had just purchased the truly ergonomic keyboard. Uh, I think it's like the TEK, something like. 201 or something like that. And I remember it had MX greens on that. And then at the end of the day, when he was out of the office, I would just kind of curiously like start hitting keys on his keyboard just to see how it felt and, uh, you know, see what the buzz was about. Um, And then I remember having lunch with some random uh, software engineer at some point. uh, And, you know, he brought up mechanical keyboards as well. So that kind of piqued my curiosity there. So I decided to give it a try and, uh, I remember the first keyboard I bought was on eBay. Uh, it was this Team Wolf Zook CIY keyboard, <laughs> and it had these Temu Blues on it. But you could also swap the switches out. Um, you know, you could you could put it in anything you wanted. So already already a hot swap, right? Yeah. Um, but while I was waiting for that, because I think it was taking it would take like a month for it to arrive from China or whatever. 
uh, I was like, okay, let me just go on Amazon and see what I can buy right away. And I found the Magic Four Sixty Eight. Oh, the uh, Magic. With, yeah, so good. Uh, yeah. So and that one had a Timo Blacks, and that that one arrived next day because it's Amazon and all that. Yeah. So that's really my first board that was typing on that was mechanical, um, and I actually I still have that board and use it at home every day still. Although it no longer has the blacks on it, I think it has it's got some sort of cl- ergo clears on it. Um, but I've spray painted it um, this pulse color so it matches SA Pulse, and uh, that's the. That's the keyboard that I've got on my home computer right now that everybody else uses. Funny. It's funny, man, because, you know, it's such a great... Um, Magic 468 is such a great layout, isn't it? That's what I find, right? It's it's a 65. Yes, it has two more keys, but I just love the compactness and and the way that it looks. You know, in for, yeah, it's a cheap keyboard. The, nowadays for us, it's a cheap keyboard and, oh, it's aluminum, whatever, but... You know, it's a great keyboard, uh, and I have one too. I I, I built one with the, the Nuka Cola theme, and um, and I really enjoy Magic Four Sixty Eight. It's really nice, right? Yeah, I have more than one. I remember, <laughs> yeah, I actually have like three in all. I mean, I don't use them. Like two of them are like just in some kind of random box. Uh, I've been meaning to swap the PCBs out on a couple of them, but uh, yeah, I really do like that layout with the arrow cluster as well. And and you did have uh, on your store, um, and we go, we'll go there a bit later. But you did have um, the replacement PCB, right, with a US with a Pro Micro, didn't yeah, you? So on, origi- yeah, so yeah, I was originally stocking the MF sixty eight made by the forty percent club guy, mm-hmm. uh, but then I forgot why. But I wanted to create my own PCB at some point as well, so I did my own version called the Tragic four sixty eight. Yeah, I think um, that I think that's the one. I but that was ri- that was riddled with errors on it. Yeah, because I I did PCB mount stabs on there, but then there was an issue where you had to modify the case in order to fit the PCB in, and I remember that just that PCB just ended up being a nightmare. So I I've abandoned that one. It was a tragedy of errors with that PCB. <laughs> well, maybe the name already had something about exactly. it. But yeah, you know what? You know, trial and error. That's what it is, right? So. Question for you then. From there, so from getting your magic force, when did you really actually realize yourself that you had taken that red pill and you had gone deep into the rabbit hole of keyboards? I mean, I think pretty quickly. Um, you know, since my background is electrical engineering, I really liked tinkering with stuff. And I remember going into university wanting to do something about uh, making things that interface with computers and such. So I think mechanical keyboards kind of um, hit that spot right there. Yeah, so yeah. really the first thing I did after getting those first two keyboards, uh, that Team Wolf and the MF68, was uh, I built myself this custom uh, 5x13 ortho board out of acrylic. Because I remember I saw this one Reddit post where some guy, a, um, he had the instructions for creating acrylic cases, and then he posted up his uh, case design files for uh, 5x13. And I thought that was a really interesting layout. So... I went ahead, went to Pinoco, ordered those acrylic files, and then, um, so really my first custom keyboard was this hand-wired ortho board. <laughs> so yeah, that's, well, pretty deep, but again, you know, like you said, coming back from your, uh, you know, engineering background, obviously, you know, you tend to, to like to, to try and do stuff with it. And again, with a project, it makes sense, makes a little sense. So you like ortho? You're a ortho I do, fan? I do. Um, 
Yeah, like so after that uh, board, I remember around that time, um, Wupatut, he had become he had come out with those let's split PCBs. Mm-hmm. So I remember the version one of that. Um, I think he was selling them for like six dollars a piece, like or something like that. It's just bare <laughs> PCBs, no Promarico, no kits or anything like that. So I remember ordering those, um, a set of PCBs, and then once I got those, they just sat on my desk for like three, four months. Um, but then after that, uh, I finally acquired all the parts for that and uh, built it, and uh, quickly that actually became my favorite board right there. Curious, very curious. So on that note, so then when with all those boards, what are you currently typing up? What is your currently daily driver? So it's a mix force? between it's a mix between three or four boards. Um, at home, mainly that Magic Force is used, um, you know, by the rest of my family. But mm-hmm. next to that Magic Force, I've got a a plank. Um, okay. I think I think it's a plank, but it has a JNL PCB that um, you know somebody else has designed. Because um, I remember buying a bunch of those. Uh, B stock plant cases from Drop when they went on sale for twenty dollars. So I yeah, bought a number yeah. of those up. Had stainless steel plates made separately, uh, and then had this JNL PCB that uh, my friend designed into that. So I have one at home have, that's got T ones in it, and then at my office I've got one that has I want to say Xilence V twos in there. So I'll use that fairly often. Um, and then just now, I built this FFT keyboard. So it's basically like a Let's Split. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like a half Let's Split, half Nyquist, because it is a 5x6 split. But the difference uh, is that the number at the top is separated from the rest of the keyboard with a 0.25U gap. So because I, I don't like... I don't usually like having separate numbers, but sometimes yeah. I just want to type it with one hand. So I can't, it's kind of convenient to have it there sometimes. But if I have five rows on an ortho, that really confuses me a lot these days. Funny. Very curious. Very curious. So I guess the next question, which is, do you even small? We already maybe discussed a bit about it, but what is your favorite form factor? So yeah, basically, um, you know, as you kind of figure it out, it is that 4 by 12 split. So uh, having the let split layout, or I guess you know my my take on it is the Levinson, which added LED support and all that. Um, so either either the even split or non split form factor, that's fine. Um, so that is uh, that is what I'm really into these days. But sometimes I will type on the Q frequency that split sixty five. Um, Such a I started sexy maybe yeah I started doing that maybe about two months ago. I decided to give it a try. Although the hard part was initially I couldn't type on it split. I had to have the two halves joined together. But then eventually I just talked myself into like, I got to learn how to type on this board split because, you know, I'm, it's you know, one of my best sellers. So I might as well learn yeah, how to type yeah, on I know it myself. But it's funny because, uh, you know, I, I mentioned this, uh, I think, like several times on the podcast. But, you know, when you get a split, like when I got the Q frequency, and then you understand that your B is typed with your right hand and it's actually on the left side so you know it's so curious because you know for me i I type b with my right hand and then you know i even say i understand why alice has two b's because of that right because some people use it on on the right side as well but you 
you need to train yourself and uh, and uh, your mind needs to start understanding that when you're using that keyboard your b goes with the left hand and very close very quickly you actually change that which is very curious right some stuff that we think that we would never get used to we get used to it very fast if it's the only thing we use right it, it, it's interesting now Another another thing that I wanted to ask of the of the usual questions is, do you like them stiff, or do you like them wiggly? And again, I'm talking about keyboards, right? Nothing else. Don't get ideas. But what is your favorite mounting style? Do you like them hard and and you know stainless steel plates stuff like that? Do you like them more flexible? I I guess that in certain split scene keyboards doesn't matter that much. But you know, in in the case of a Q frequency, as an example. It probably does. So, what is it, what is it for you? So, in terms of mounting style, uh, or like you know how stiff it is, uh, I don't really have much of a preference anymore. I think in the early days, uh, I was doing like three millimeter acrylic and all that, and that's, I guess, a medium stiffness of some sort. And then uh, you know I got to doing stainless steel plates, and I really like that. I really like the stiffness of the stainless steel plates. Yeah. Um, but then obviously now I've got a lot of FR4 based builds, uh, like this FFT I've built that's got FR4 plate, although the, the plank builds I've got, there's their stainless steel, but, um, it doesn't really matter to me much anymore. Uh, like, uh, I've also got a satisfaction 75 at this one station around my office and that's got the brass plate in there. So, uh, really to me, it, it doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't. The, the feel of the, of the plate and all that, um, I don't really care too much about it anymore. Yeah, it just, just adds character to a board, right? I think that that's a funny thing to, to think about if you think about it that way, which is, you know, I have your Q frequency, I have it with no PCB, uh, sorry, no, no plate, right? Because uh, the, the case I got for it didn't have a plate for it. And I actually enjoyed the, the feeling of just switches with PCB. Uh, but but yeah, they're all different. That's what I find is that you know you can have a stiff keyboard like I have uh, my sixty percent with a brass plate. I really enjoy the feeling of it. But then I also re- enjoy you know softer uh, typing. But you know they make it makes it makes the board have more character in the end. It's not really you know. And again, we're talking about keyboards preference preference in keyboards. Imagine that. But yeah, last question of the the standard questions and this one. Ergo what, bruv? So, I guess we know, but what are the limits of ergonomics to you? Do you go full full splurgo, you know, corns, that side of, of the hobby? Or you like your split boards, but with a regular uh, staggered layout that you already talked about, ortho? Do you enjoy ortho a lot? Is it Do you find it better than, than regular stagger? Yeah, for me, I definitely like ortho over i mean i can do regular stagger still uh obviously i like my ortho and then you know you got your columnar uh stagger um and i've tried that with the iris you know as as crazy as it sounds even though that is by far the best seller on my store like i've tried typing up on it for a couple weeks and i just i could not get used to it yeah i know um so uh yeah I, i i just i just can't do it for some reason uh and I've also tried some weird layouts, like uh, if you talk about, you know, like the Gherkin, the three by ten. I've messed around with that a little bit, but losing that um, that outer column on each side is a little bit off-putting to me. 
Yeah. Uh, I really it, need like so something curious, to the, something to the left of the A. Yeah. yeah. It's so curious because, you know, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, I know that, and, I, and I've seen, said this before, I love to build this type of board. I love building, so I love, uh, you know, stuff that gives you work, etc. But it's so curious that, you know, I build this type of boards and I just go like, okay, uh, let me try it. Let me try and type on it. Okay, and put it away because I cannot use it. I don't want to, in, you know, to invest the time that is needed to use it. But from what I hear from every split fan is that when you do, you get used to it. And then when you do, you don't want to go back, which is very mm-hmm. interesting. You know, it's it's why I I wanted to also to do this, uh, this type of episodes on, on Spurgo because I find that it's, you know, there's, there's a big community out there that really enjoys it. And as an example, ortho, I hate ortho personally. I can't use it. But, you know, maybe it's just training your brain to just go there. I've uh, I've changed from a from an ISO board that I have to an ANSI, and I've used it for like a month. And when I came back to to ISO, I've noticed that I was typing, you know, I was I wanted to touch the enter key, and I was actually not touching the enter key; I was <laughs> touching the, the the character next to it. You know, so it's so curious how fast because a month is nothing if you think about it. How fast yeah. you just change your your you know your your mental. Um, gymnastics of going into keys it's very very interesting right yeah that reminds me when i got into ortho like that first uh five by 13 board uh i remember the first two three weeks it's that bottom row that like cv uh b n and m keys those were the hardest keys for me to get used to um i remember especially like you know i guess the nice part about type learning ortho was it helped me I feel like it helped me type better on a regular staggered keyboard because now I hit C with my middle finger as opposed to before. I think I was hitting it with my index finger. Um, yeah, I hit it. So I, I, I think I hit it with my index. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting one. But uh, yeah, in terms of other Splurgo stuff, I think one fun one I've been playing around with is the one from Gboards is the 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 Ginny, the 10 key one. Oh, the Ginny. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've spoken about it. Yeah, I don't know, two, two or three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with all the cording and crazy. stuff like that, it's crazy. Yeah, I remember. I can. T- I remember after some practice, I could type on it at about thirteen, fourteen yes. words per minute. Yes. But uh, that's a that's a really interesting one. I think at some point I should try to just give it some more time. And uh, I think I remember talking to Obasab, um, who he had on the guest before. And I think he he had gotten to, up to like. 30 words per minute or something like that but uh yeah it's crazy man but, but I, mean, it's funny, I need right? to catch it's, up if you think about it yeah is that you start dedicating yourself and all of a sudden you just start typing fast on that thing which is cording it's not even something that you are you know technically used to and it's it's very interesting but yeah but apparently you know uh i had tom on on the show uh last episode and um he mentioned that you know there's a there's um, one of our UK members that types on one with one hand while driving a bike. And I'm not sure if it's Ginny or one similar like that, but he's, but you know he's able to ride a bike and type SMS messages with that keyboard, which is crazy. But you know maybe that's what they're made for, something like that. It's yeah, potentially. I mean, I've I've messed around with one-handed keyboarding before, like even before I got into mechanical keyboards. Um, I remember it might have been like around 2010 or something like that. 
I remember finding some kind of auto hotkey script where if you held space down, it would mirror the keyboard. So like if you held space down, the F would become a J instead and like an A would become a, uh, let's see, like the semicolon or something like that. Semicolon. Yeah, or L, yeah. But yeah, the idea is like, you know, you could... You know, type one with one hand, either your left hand or your right hand, and then you you kind of have a layer by holding down the space key, or if you just tap it, you get regular space. And I remember messing around with that for a little while, and I was able to get to about like thirty five words per minute on that one. So yeah, yeah um, curious. Well, that was an I, interesting experiment. Yeah, but but it's it's, it's another thing that I that I like to say is that you know words per minute depends. Some people are very into words per minute, and I find me. Technically, it's very funny. I find, maybe because I'm a Portuguese native, that if I go into monkey type or, you know, uh, 10 fast fingers, and if I'm trying to type what's on the screen, I type slower than when I want to try type an email or something like that, where it just comes off your head, right? Which is very curious as well. Mm-hmm. But maybe because, you know, in the end, in my brain, I'm, although I think in English, but I'm always translating. Right, it's not really something that that is a uh, you know native for you. So maybe because of that. Right, we need to go into the questions more dedicated to your to to yourself, and uh, we obviously need to start with the place for split keyboards. How that came about, and you need to tell me all about it. Yeah, so I remember. Um, I think it was back in 2016 or so. Uh, you know, I'd gotten into the hobby for maybe about six months or so at that point, because uh, I remember starting like summer 2015 or so. Um, and uh, in terms of like my background, I've had somewhat of an entrepreneurial past, uh, even like going back to like childhood, I would just try to find things to sell, uh, you know, sell stuff on eBay. I remember like I remember at some point in college, I was reselling international edition textbooks because textbooks in the U.S. are ridiculously ridiculously expensive yeah uh, so i was doing that and then i remember like you know one of the things i was doing before kibio was i just go to thrift stores all the time you know find things like games or like board games or books to resell on amazon and whatnot so um you know what i really want to do is just like you know i wanted to experiment with e-commerce and you know see if there's something interesting i could sell so my wife and i have been talking about it and you know, we were both trying to come up with some kind of ideas of what to sell. So, um, you know, I decided, like, okay, let me just play around. I think I set aside about $2,500 to set aside to um, start buying some inventory. And I think, I remember when I opened up the store in May, uh, I just had, like, Gateron switches, some switch springs, uh, and then those Cherry MX desk mats uh, yeah. were popular at the time. The I famous think. ones, yeah. Yeah, this was like before like the deskmat craze ha- really happened. I guess you know the Cherry MX ones were like the first, you know, I think big so. craze. Yes, big. But craze then there was a like, kind of a there was kind of yeah. a big lull in between that and the uh, the next wave. So that's how I, I got the store started. But then immediately, um, I was thinking to myself, well, I I, I didn't want to be just a supplier of parts of DIY parts. So that's why I wanted to go out and design my own board um and and you know that's about the same time where the mech keys discord had appeared mm-hmm. uh so you know i was talking to people on there just trying to 
I think hang, I was hanging out in the KB Design channel there uh, with you know a number of people, and the sense I got was like, you know, uh, something like a let's split with the but with the fifth row uh, was something people would be interested in. So that's what I uh, got started on doing. So I've learned CACAD and basically modify, well, I, I guess the goal, initial thing I was trying to do was modify the Let's Split files that Wupatoot had open sourced. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think I just ended up doing it from scratch and uh, creating the Nyquist from there. Funny. So did you think that it was a feasible, so when you opened, right, and, and you already said you didn't want, you didn't want to, to be a vendor, but when you started, do you think that it would be something that you would be able to maintain all these years? As in, you know, uh, because if you think about it, then we being in the hobby, I speak to people and people look at you and go like, you're crazy, right? So if you think about starting a, a store for keyboards, also with a very, maybe not at the time, but then moving on to the split scene, right? But did you think that it would go and, and grow and be as it is today? Or it was something that, you know, let's try. Uh, because again, especially at that time, it wasn't something that nowadays that you're used to having vendors and all that, because at the time you didn't have that much, right? Right. And, you know, my mindset going into it was, you know, I had tried a bunch of different things before, whether it be like stock trading or I think the the, the previous venture I had gone into was some affiliate marketing work. Um, and really, I remember from the affiliate marketing work is, this one guy I followed pretty closely, uh, his blog and all, is you know you just gotta start small. You know, start something like sell like a hundred dollars a day or something like that. You know, so I I kind of came into the store setting my goals you know relatively small, and you know you can kind of grow from there. It's like okay, you know you can start selling like a hundred dollars a day or like X number of sales per month and all that. And it's just like okay, just learn from it regardless. You know whether it's a success or a failure. Uh, there's something to be taken from it uh, in some way. Uh, and you could apply, you know, if, like let's say the store failed, I could apply whatever I learned there into something else. So that's kind of the mindset I came into. I wasn't thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be my full-time job at some point or anything like that at all. Were you surprised when, when you got to the to the size that you would be able to to make it your full-time job and to make it your own you know, store, et cetera? I mean, I think it wasn't really like a single point where it's like, oh, yeah, I should kind of take a full-time, although there was kind of a decision point uh, at some point. But, you know, over time, I just kind of gradually grew and grew and grew. Uh, so I don't really feel like there is that, like, key point where it's like, oh, yeah, I hit, you know, this particular milestone, you know, I know I've made it I can it quit and all my that. job. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you mean. It was more of an organic thing that started happening, and then eventually, you know, you took the step. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think just the fun part was just me, you know, designing new boards. That That's really what, you know, drove me to kind of create all these boards. It's like, okay, I created the Nyquist, and then somebody, you know, I would hang out on Discord, and somebody's like, well, I kind of like the Nyquist, but I wish I had another column. Like, could you do a 5 by 7 I'm like... All right, I'm going to do a 5 by 7 So that was like the next yeah. board that I worked on. <laughs> and then I remember, um, you know, I wanted I wanted like LEDs or something in my keyboard. So I took the Let's Split, but then I did my own version, you know, which became the Levinson. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, trying to trying to keep the name as close as possible to the original name. And then, you know, and then there's the story of the iris, which, you know, basically these three keyboards kind of came out at the same time. Uh, I remember I was lurking on RMK and then this one guy in Australia is like, hey, I've got this idea for this columnar staggered layout that's, you know, I kind of like more than the Ergodox because Ergodox has like those weird thumb placements. But, uh, you know, here's an idea that I've got for a board. So um, I was like, you know, like, you know, I've been designing PCBs lately. Like, let me, let me uh, work with you to get this layout made. Um, so, you know, like, I think like over the weekend, I crank out the PCB design and then me and this other guy, his name is Lewis Ridden. Um, and I've actually got a blog post on my website about it uh, and how we decided on the name and the layout and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, after I hashed out the PCB design um, over some weekend and designed an initial FR4 case, we just kind of ran with that. Um, so that was like another board, you know, that came to be. And then really it's just like, any random board I, idea I, I had, I just started making. Um, and that's kind of what drove me. It wasn't really like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to drum up more sales for this particular product. It's just like I really just wanted to make stuff that people would enjoy. Uh, and also, and also, it would, it would uh, you know, obviously you being an uh, you know, engineer background, it would also give you pleasure on being able to make all these things. And now that you're learning... KiCad, etc. Yeah, you know, you want to 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 get to that level as well, right? As long as you, as 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 you you learn, you also want to challenge yourself and do more and more, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's just like yeah, I'm, you know, learning how to do the thing that I went to college for. Literally, like I wanted to build stuff that connected to computers, and you know, yeah. this is really what it was. You know, that is it satisfied my craving there, and I just kind of. Wanted to keep rolling with that. So I have to ask you something. So again, it could be me, and I'm again not on the. I am. I am in the in the in the split scene, and I love the split people. But I, again, I'm not that familiar with with a lot of uh, you know story about it. But um, I get the impression that nowadays you you have your passion for split keyboards with a normal staggered layout. Is that real, or do you still prefer the Nyquist, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, than the KBO, the, sorry, the, the Q frequencies and the sinks. So I still prefer the ortho overall. I mean, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll type on the Q frequency, uh, not so much the sync just because it's way too big for me. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it was really just that like first, you know, let's split that kind of got me addicted to split keyboards. And I guess, you know, if you, you know, we had talked earlier about the, Microsoft natural keyboard and I remember yeah. having I, I remember having some kind of Logitech keyboard that had um, it's not really like an ergonomic layout but like the the keys is kind of like are curved out a little bit um, to yeah. keep your hands apart better so I think that's kind of really where my um, my interest originated in having split keyboards and then really like you know the frequency and all that other kind of stuff that stemmed just from talking to other people and what they're interested in um in terms of you know, the mechanical keyboard design community, one of my friends that you know I really talk pretty closely with, um, he, he goes by Nibiria. Um, I remember he was designing a split staggered. Uh, you know, when I was doing my initial split ortho stuff, he he did an interest deck for this one board called the Uruk. I, I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but it's U uh, R U K. 
Um, but yeah, he, he designed that. Uh, and you know, he, he sent me some protos and that. And I remember I was trying to fix one of his board at his house one time, but, uh, that kind of, you know, I, I knew there was kind of an interest in that kind of staggered split out there. And then, um, there's also the Delta split 75. I knew the creator for that and we kind of joke around a bunch. So, um, I knew, you know, there was some sort of market there that people were interested in. So I decided to go down that route as well. It's, it's curious because I find that um, regular staggered split is probably a good introduction to someone that is trying to, you know, and again, going back to Microsoft, uh, you know, or Ergo, but, you know, going someone that is used to a regular layout going into a split world. Because what I find is that if you if you present someone with a, ortho split you know that person will never get used to it because even if they touch type they learn that and that's how it is right so i think that having a split you know staggered layout a regular keyboard that you can actually split or join it's something that actually works pretty well yeah i think so too it's a nice gentle introduction to split keyboards and you know if you look at the you know, OEM marketplace out there. You've got Kinesis. They've got their own staggered split keyboard out there. I remember around the same time before the Cupency came out, there's the Digma Rays. Uh, yeah, remember that, yep. mm -hmm. that that one guy who's like the former you know coach of uh, League of Legends. Uh, you know, he he went out and designed a keyboard there. So uh, you know, there there certainly is you know a market for you know even beforehand for these kind of split keyboards. So next question, you have brought us several, and we spoke about it before, you know, uh, Q-Frequency sync as the splits. The Q-Frequency has already three iterations. You're moving away from the through-hole soldering, which was what I got with the first Q-Frequency, and into a more integrated type of keyboards with all this, you know, with all the ports, everything ins installed. While I personally, being a builder, prefer the other type of, of board, right? Uh, do you feel that this move has increased the sales adoption of it? Do you think that, you know, you had more sales when you moved the sync and the Q-frequency to this type of, of boards where everything is integrated and people just need to solder switches? And I think that the newest version, are you thinking about doing a um, hot swap or not? Yeah, so um, speaking to the hot swap question, yeah, the Cupency Rev4, uh, I, j I literally just put the order in for production last week, and that has the kill hot swap sockets on there already. Okay. Um, and then if you kind of look at the progression of me moving to integrated components onto a PCB, uh, you know, initially I was doing all these pro micro base kits, uh, and the reason for that was it was just a lot easier for me to iterate upon and get out there for people as opposed to having to work a little bit more in depth with a manufacturer to do PCB assembly. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's why I went the pro micro route, uh, for a while where, where I could, you know, I could just, um, you know, if I, like I said, if I had some random idea, I could just whip something up and release it out there and it wouldn't cost me too much. And I would just have something out there for fun. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's still, still, I still sell some of these pro micro based designs out there, but I think in terms of what people wanted, they wanted something you know, not involving the pro micro and, and especially for something like the Q or the sync where the stagger is, um, 
you know, Rose, Rose Dagger, uh, the pro micro had to go out sideways as opposed to vertically. And yeah. that was just a little bit awkward to me. So that's why, uh, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to convert to an integrated um, board. But that it's, it was really just demand. People really uh, wanted something that's ready to go. And it looks a little bit better, I would say, than doing something with a pro micro or Elite C. Yeah. But do you find that the um, do you find that the um, the there's more adoption now that you change it? Do you do you do you see sales going up? Or I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think with the conversion over to um, those integrated boards, the sales have gone up. I think it's just a less intimidating build in some yeah, way. I see. Uh, yeah, you don't I see have, you you don't yeah, have to true, deal with the pro true. micro. You just literally just stick your switches on and all that, uh, yeah. and you don't have to do all the diodes and Yeah, uh, you know, some level of DIY is nice, but, um, you know, if you could just throw your switches on, better. It's so funny, man, because, you know, I'm actually on the opposite side, right? It, it's so curious to see how, and I understand because, uh, like I said before, you know, when you start and, you know, soldering is daunting to you, and then you start getting used to it, and then you start going like, you know what, I'm, I want to push myself. No, I want to do this, and I want to do that, and, and I... I personally prefer the other side, right? The hard work side, because, you know, uh, like I said, nothing better than building a keyboard where you solder everything and all of a sudden it starts, right? There's no better feeling. Scariest thing ever? Yes, it is. You know, when I did my, my uh, so my first real, real all solder board was the, um, not the Gingham, but the other one, uh, the Discipline, right? Uh, yeah. And I remember you're soldering all of that following the manual and that moment where you're going to plug the USB-C in and see if it works, that's a scary moment, but it's so gratifying <laughs> when everything turns on and everything works. So good, right? But yeah, you could have the situation where, no, nothing works and you just failed. But it's for me, that's, that's what I get out of it too. But I understand a lot of people that actually, you know, enjoy, like you said, You know, they want to get their board. They love the, the layout and they just want to put switches in and and it works. Totally understandable too, right? But uh, I'm a big advocate of everyone trying, you know, try and solder, try and go that route. It's something that you're going to learn. It's something that will stay with you for life. doesn't matter if you just use it for, you know, a year. You will know how to solder, right? It's something else that you learn. So, you know, and then again, the gratifying part of it, of looking at a board and saying, I built all of this, you know, without me doing it, nothing would work. So, you know, it's, it's very interesting, but yeah. So, um, like we were saying, so, so Q frequency, I said three iterations already in four, correct? Yep. So we have four is in production and okay. probably like another month, I'll start having the PCBs for that. Like I said on the, on the, on the, before the podcast, can you please stop making different versions because I want to print cases and stuff for them and I can't because I get one and then all of a sudden I figure out that no, the case is different. Oh, I need to print a new one. So, you know, joking, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, it's very good. And I'm really happy that you're doing that. It's, it's very good for the hobby. It's very good for the community as well. Right. Do you feel that and now totally different tangent, but do you feel that the, Technical, I don't want to call it technical, but 
you know, people that are more inclined to soldering has moved away from that and now they don't get it or they still get it and they still use it? That I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I do get a lot of questions about hot swap and Milmax and all that. And then, you know, I don't know how long I've been doing it now, but maybe about three, four months ago, I introduced on the store uh, pre-built options for the Iris, q and Sync. That's cool. That's and cool. That's, yeah. yeah. And I've had a like, couple hundred people actually buy pre-built boards so far for that. Um, yeah, understandable. So, yeah. like, people people can be very intimidated by soldering. Yeah. Although, yeah. in my opinion, like you know, people can learn pretty quickly. I've got you know my staff here of you know five or six part time employees, and you know I was able to teach them how to solder pretty decently. You know, within a couple hours of just training, and you know they they kind of catch on. I think um, you know people. People just need to try sometimes. It's, yes. it's not that bad. Yes, I think they just exactly. need good. They just need good good solder because, like you know, you see people buying good lead solder. free and damaging solder, their man. irons good and whatnot. Solder. Yes, when I, it's a, it's a funny thing when I, when people go like, oh, what solder should I get? And you go and buy this one. It's like twenty pounds, and people go like, oh, and you go like, no, trust me, man. You buy this one if you're really again, obviously, you, if you want to solder one board. Maybe spending twenty pounds on solder and trying it yourself, but if you're going that that route, it means that you will do it more. And having proper solder, oh, it's a world of change. A world of change makes things so much easier, so much you know different. And I remember the first board that I built myself was with Amazon, you know, lead free solder, and it was a nightmare because it doesn't oh, yeah. heat up properly and doesn't connect to the terminals properly, etc. And when I decided to get good solder and I used it, I went like, oh, this is a piece of cake now, right? Maybe you do need to go through that experience. Maybe you do need to start with, you know, cheap solder so that you can appreciate when you get, you know, not let free solder. Again, we're not against the planet and not against health, but, you know, let's, let's be real, right? Lead free solder sucks. That's how it is. Oh, yeah. Because it needs lead. <laughs> it's it's the nature of the thing. So yeah. So on that on that that idea, did you ever thought of releasing one of the two Q frequency or sync on a more premium version, like with an aluminium case and doing you know like a full fledged group by stuff like that? Have you thought about it, or it's just something that you know you want to keep your idea on affordable boards with you know. FR4, and then you you provide like 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 you said, you provide um, you know files so that that people can print their own cases, etc. Or do you think of eventually going into an aluminium case for those ones and creating a premium? And I hate the word premium, but you know I mean a better again better is also a bad word, but you know something more sturdier. Let's just call it like that. Yeah. No, it's definitely in the works. Um, you know, for me, in terms of progression of all, you know, the store and all the products and all that kind of stuff, uh, I've just kind of take very steady steps. You know, nothing too drastic. Uh, you know, not trying to take these huge leaps or anything like that. Like you've seen with the the PCBs, I I was on the Pro Micro train for a long, long time, uh, and you know, it wasn't until the Iris Rev Three where I started doing integrated yeah. PCBs and all that. 
Um, so really, yeah, the next one of my goals for this year is to have some kind of more productized version of my products, uh, whether it be the BDN9 or QFrenzy or Iris, uh, Sync, like one of those boards. Um, you know, I definitely do want to have an aluminum case for that. Um, and, you know, one of the things I've been picking up on a lot over the past several months is Fusion 360, trying to do a lot of this oh, yeah. 3D design. Uh, trying to understand what goes into a case itself, and I've, I've talked a lot to a lot of people. And where, whereas you know, it'd be really easy just to like have somebody do it. I kind of want to. I'm a very hands-on person, and I want to be, you know, I want to get my hands into it and know how to do things myself. So that's why um, you know I've been working on it a little bit slowly, but definitely before the end of the year, I want to have something. Last question of the dedicated questions, but I need to touch on this because I do a podcast. If you're not familiar with it, you probably are, but you also do a podcast called Off the Clack. It's a very different type of podcast where you mostly talk about elite C's. Let's just be real. You guys just talk about that. But, you know, you talk about things not really related to keyboards. Again, by three mechanical keyboard enthusiasts that, you know, the, the premise of the show is that you guys finished work and you're just talking about other stuff. Who had the idea of creating Out the Clack? And um, you guys have not released the episodes recently, but I believe that they, they will come back in due time. You know, is this something you enjoy doing, podcasting, and you know, doing that for the community? Yeah. So in terms of the origins of the Off the Clack podcast, and then um, I guess just for some background for those you don't know. Um, off the clock podcast the host consists of me uh, and then there's Chris that Canadian who designed the Elite C and then there is Josh um, the owner of Space Cat Design so um, the way that came about was um, uh, we, were, we were all guests separately on different podcasts before uh, and you know we enjoyed being on podcasts and then I remember I was on this one I was a guest on this one podcast called Board Culture by Woke Chill or Wallet Burner as he goes by now. And I remember, you know, after having the chat with him and recording the episode, I was thinking, you know, like, you know, it'd be fun to, you know, roll our own podcast. So, um, you know, I had worked with Chris and Josh before on something else. And, you know, we, we used to joke around a lot. We used to have all these inside jokes and things like that. So I pitched the idea to them. It's like, hey, you know, you guys interested in doing a podcast of some sort? Um, and they're like, yeah, like, you know, we just kind of love to talk in general. And I think the idea we had behind it was, not necessarily talk about keyboards. It's just like three guys who love keyboards, um, you know, just kind of hanging out, yeah. you know, just shooting the shit, um, just, you know, pretend like we're all together in some room, hanging out in the basement or whatever, um, talking about life or whatever, and, you know, have keyboards in the background somewhere. <laughs> so that was kind of the idea behind that. And then um, we tossed around a couple names and we, we settled on off the clock just in terms of like, yeah, it's... You know, after we're done with work, after, you know, we're done doing our keyboard stuff, you know, we're just kind of goofing off and, um, you know, bringing on some interesting guests on uh, to just talk about whatever, not necessarily about keyboards. I think it was just, and the main idea is get to know the people 
behind it, you know, more of the personality of the people rather than like what they're doing in the keyboard scene itself. Yeah, that's that's exactly, exactly. Now I have to ask for all the fans of the of the Clack podcast as well. Uh, I am one, and I I follow you guys, and I cannot cannot wait for a new episode. But I have to ask: Is Josh okay? You know, how are things? And I don't want to know anything personal again. Just a question: Josh doing well? You guys are going to record something all something else. So, so we don't know. Yeah, um, I have not. So I guess to, for anybody who is a fan of the podcast, I think. The last Correct. main episode we recorded was back in February of this year, and we kind of covered some of the ergomec drama there. But um, I think, you know, in terms of the podcast, you know, I guess I wouldn't say we're officially on hiatus or anything like that, you know, because I know Chris and I, we still want to record things. Um, but, like, if you kind of go back to the last, you know, our main discontinuity in terms of recording episodes was sometime last January. Uh, and that was when I had a, a baby, like a, a, a you know, our fourth kid. <laughs> so, and it, that was at around the same time as just like doing things on a weekly basis was becoming a little bit too heavy for me. And I was, my plan was just kind of stepping back towards thinking maybe once every two weeks or something like that. Um, but I kind of had to cut that out for a while. Uh, but I was still listening to episodes and such. And I think at some point, Josh, you know, he was going to move to Texas or something along those lines. Uh, I don't think that move ever happened, but I, I remember that was like around May or something of last year, and that kind of he kind of dropped off then. Um, and then once my life became slightly less busy, although still busy, uh, I remember I recorded an episode with Jerm in, I guess, last June or July or something like that. And then from there, it's just kind of been pretty sporadic. But to be honest, um, yeah, we haven't really heard from Josh. Um, I know Chris sent an email out and then Josh replied back with something something very brief. Uh, you know, it seems like the store is still kind of running, although, you know, we're, we're kind of joking in our Discord server, you know, what the current front page status of his store is right now, because right now it's just like, be right back, or it's like, uh, before then, it's like, okay, I'm, we're going to be back July 4th or June 21st, and then now, and then I pushed back to July 14th, and then now it's just like, you know, we don't, we don't know what's going on. Um, I think he must, I think he must have changed his phone number or something. I know he kind of cut off, he, he I, probably removes like social media accounts and all that, so um, hopefully he's okay, but I, I don't, yeah, I don't know, yeah. You know, I cannot blame, you know. Hopefully he's okay, yeah. Hopefully, again, hopefully, you know, we wish Josh to be okay. But, you know, I can understand the thing of cutting down on, on social media, stuff like that. Some people go through that. And even I sometimes, I, you know, I have issues on being able to record on time, getting guests, etc. Because, again, you know, it's not easy at the same time. and And then you're... Your mental state sometimes just tells you, you know, I don't want to do it. But, uh, but what I, what I, if there is a message that I can give to you three, is you know what, guys, just keep on doing it, right? It doesn't matter if it takes three months for an episode, but you know, uh, it's enjoyed, right? It's content that you guys produce. It's <laughs> fun when you hear it. Although you guys only sell, talk about LEDs, but I understand yeah. you sell LEDs, so that's okay. I totally understand that. Uh, I guess it's probably also a running joke on 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 the show, but yeah, you know, 
Um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's like you said, it's it's really an it's a nice podcast because of that. You know, obviously some people might have issues because it's uh, you know, in terms of uh, of uh, wording, sometimes it gets a bit more excessive. But at the same time, you know, it's that you we are joined by pot, by keyboards, but sometimes you like to hear about other stuff and talking about other stuff. It's also very interesting for me on that side, right? You know, I, some podcasts I listen to, I don't listen to it just because of the theme. Yes, you can arrive to the podcast because of the theme, but then you get to like the people that do the podcast and understand the, the synergies between them and how things work. And you start enjoying it, the content, because of the content and not really just because it's a keyboard podcast. Right. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to highlight was, uh, in, you know, in terms of like, you know, like look at all the other keyboard content creators out there. I think you know we're one of the few ones that actually focus on ergo stuff as well. Uh, so we kind of lend a voice to those people. You know, we talk, you know, the germ and uh, some of those other guys. And you know, Chris is an ergo fan as well. You know, he's done various iterations of the let's split. So we kind of we're kind of like the freak show, and you know, give, giving a voice to that freak show of uh keyboard users out there true now last questions of the podcast first one very deep if you could change something today in the keyboard hobby what would that be i mean i think in general just a little bit less toxicity out there um you know there i mean as as much as i enjoy listening to keyboard drama sometimes uh you know people can kind of get a little bit too thick into it um and then there's also you know, one of the things I kind of don't like too much is uh, if you go on RMK these days, it's just full of memes. Like, you, you, you yeah. somebody can put up like some five five minute meme, and it's like it gets like five thousand upvotes. Where it's like somebody who worked hard and put ten hours, yeah, like they don't get that much attention. I had I had the same situation, right? Which is, you know, and again, I, I cannot say because I I am. I'm guilty of the same thing, taking pictures of keyboards or stuff like that and posting them on on, on uh, RMK. But it's funny because sometimes, you know, I did some pictures which I personally think, and again, this is all down to the to the person, that I, th- I really find that are great pictures, didn't get that much traction. And then one day I decided to, to post a meme and all of a sudden 2.5K vote <laughs> votes. And you go like, yeah, it's a meme, man. I'm just joking, right? But... but I get what you're meaning, which is, it's the same thing. And again, me being guilty of it as well. And you know, I'm not saying that I'm the the perfect guy. Never has never done it. Yes, I've done it several times. But I find that RMK at the moment is much more pictures of keyboards and memes, and you know, certain discussions and topics that are interesting, they're getting left behind. Right. Second last question, last one of them. So 2020 has been the year we all know. 2021, we thought we were getting rid of it. It's still six months in and we still have the human malware with us. But again, getting better slowly. What's next for Danny and Kibio? And again, yes, this is the part where you plug all this your stuff. You already mentioned an idea of bringing something aluminium into it. Anything else you would like to tell us? Yeah, other than, you know, making the products fancier, you know, productizing the board, making it match more of the more common boards you see out there that are non-split. Um, the other thing I really want to do is just generate more content out there. 
uh been working on you know various youtube videos to add to my channel so right now i've just been doing these like five ten minute tutorial videos that very raw you know so i'm just recording something real quick with my phone uh doing like an overhead shot of me doing something where it's like soldering a board or uh, assembling a case or something like that but something like instructional for people um and then you know i've been just building out a lot of documentation guys uh things like that uh one of the things i plan on working on is some sort of keyboard primer just kind of uh, you know, there's there's other sites out there, but there's other things that I would like to cover myself uh, in terms of building a keyboard and parts like that. Uh, basically, giving back to communities, community more in some way because I think one of the things I like to do is just teach people new things. Uh, so I think having a good resource on things is out there uh, will really help. And the part of that's also just driven by the kind of questions I get in my customer service queue. You know, I'll see a lot of common questions, uh, you know, just on flashing or like, how do I program my board or how do I use VIA and things like that. And whenever somebody asks a question like that, that uh, I find to be common, I just kind of, I jot it the note down uh, for me to just keep on improving my documentation. But, uh, you know, just gives me ideas for what kind of things I want in terms of building out a guide for the rest of the community. It's, it's very important, right? Because it's one of the things I find that we are also lacking is that, especially if you want to start on the building pro process of it, right? Yes, most of the boards that you buy that need, you know, uh, component soldering, etc., would have a manual for it. But I think that, like you said, the, that those little videos, how do you do that? How do that, even if they're crude, they're very helpful because when you're starting out, you know, it was what I was searching for. And one of the reasons at the beginning that I got, got attached to, you know, keyboard building streamers was more because of that. Knowing is not because of the board they're building, but it's more to see how they do it, right? And I think that it's it's something that we miss is instructional instructions, or at least, you know, yes, there's tons of them out there, but they're spread out. And it's very hard to find certain information. At least that's my feeling about it. Right, Mr. Danny, nothing else to say, but thank you so, so much for joining the episode. I really appreciate you joining. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a blast. No, it was a pleasure. Again, guys, you go and, and go into Kibio, kib.io web store. Follow Danny, and, and Danny will share me his, uh, his um, social medias, etc. that I'll put on the on the show notes go on and listen give a listen to off the clock podcast again three amazing guys doing great content funny interesting you know go and listen to them and again danny thank you so much for joining i really appreciate your time and guys we have an email address the thought podcast at gmail.com um please send us an email just give us your feedback Tell me how bad the show is, how good the show is. Just tell me something. I really appreciate you guys contacting me. I had several people contacting me, which is really, really appreciated. And uh, yeah, I guess I'll catch you on the next one. You guys have a good one.